Specialty Story Session Number 105. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. If you haven't yet, go check out all of our other podcasts at mededmedia.com. We have a great guest today, a physician who is a breast imaging radiologist and someone who reached out to me saying, hey, I want to be on your podcast and share my specialty too. Now that is the ultimate goal for me. Have physicians reach out to me and share their stories. That makes it easier for me and shares more with you. So if you have any physicians that you think would be great on this podcast, have them reach out directly to me and we'll get them set up here on the podcast. This week, we have Dr. Anjali Malik sharing her story about breast imaging radiology. And we start the discussion with how she first became interested in it. So My interest in radiology and breast imaging radiology actually sort of happened around the same time. I thought that I was going to go into internal medicine. And so while on my internal medicine rotation, I thought I would be um, an extra good internist and learn how to read chest x-rays, which we all know are a huge part of our day-to-day in medicine. And so I got a book called Felsen's Primer for Chest Radiology. And it made the whole science of imaging a lot more interesting than I ever knew it could be. Like most people, I thought radiology was just sitting in a dark room and seemed really <laughs> boring. Um, just seemed like the kind of thing that a lot of old men do, which is now the stereotype that I work to try to fight. Um, but yeah, so I was um, on my internal medicine rotation and sort of that spark hit where I realized that Uh, radiology was more interesting and that you could detect so many different pathologies on a chest x-ray coupled with the fact that I realized I didn't really like managing hypertension and diabetes nearly as much as I thought (laughs) I would. Um, And then immediately after that internal medicine rotation, I worked with a surgeon who was actually a breast surgeon out in the community in New Orleans prior to Hurricane Katrina. And post-Hurricane Katrina, he came to Tulane because his hospital had flooded And he was trying to sort of recreate that heavy breast surgery practice at Tulane. And so while I did do, you know, lap coles and appies with him, I actually did a lot more breast surgery than probably the average third year medical student does. So I independently excised fibroadenomas. I, um, you know, first and second assisted on mastectomies and I was exposed to that breast surgery population. Um, And he actually did a lot of image guided biopsies in his clinic as well. So I realized that I liked the pathology. I liked the patients. I I liked procedures far more than I had ever realized I would. Uh, But I knew that I did not want to do surgery either. I didn't want to do five years of uh, general surgery residency to maybe then go on into breast surgery. So he actually Uh, pointed me in the direction of the breast imaging radiologist at Tulane and the rest is history. What was it about getting pointed in that direction and then interacting with that physician 
were you like, oh, th- this is definitely what I can see myself doing? So, I mean, I think it was in part working with that breast imaging radiologist, but also realizing it while I was on that breast surgery rotation, realizing that, wow, I'm actually really good at um, putting all of the pieces of the puzzle in, in breast imaging together. And by that, I mean, putting the physical exam with the mammogram, with the ultrasound, and then directing that needle to that mass. It does take a lot of um, problem solving and a lot of spatial awareness um, and skills that I might not have thought I possessed. I was never particularly good at video games. Um, I didn't care for them, but also don't think I'm very good at them. And so I just didn't uh, see myself as, as being as good at those things. But it turns out when you actually try um, to do them, I, w- I was good. And so part of it was that. And again, I, I liked the patient population and I knew that I would be able to have that same interaction um, as a breast imaging radiologist. And then I have a background in public health. So I did my BA in public health at Johns Hopkins and breast cancer, breast imaging, breast screening. So much of it is about epidemiology. It's about, uh, you know, uh, population health as a whole. Um, so I, I really think that every part of the field sort of spoke to me. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good breast imaging radiologist? So as I had sort of referenced, I think being cerebral and a problem solver and having that spatial awareness is really important for breast imaging radiology, but for a lot of radiology in general. Um, Of course, being patient and observant, um, having a good eye helps. So, uh, you know, those little what's wrong with this picture or how do these two not match? Um, Those things are kind of what every radiologist, including breast imaging radiologists, do every single day. Some of it's pattern recognition. Some of it is just, you know, being having that same consistent, thorough um, search pattern. And then some of it is the problem solving, like when you have a procedure or you're directing a surgeon on how you think they should approach a case. Talk about the types of patients and diseases and pathologies that you're seeing and diagnosing. So as a breast imaging radiologist, of course, you're screening for breast cancer. And within breast cancer, typically you're seeing invasive ductal or ductal carcinoma in situ. You're seeing lobular carcinoma, you're seeing papillary carcinoma, and then the occasional medullary or mucinous. But we actually diagnose um, all sorts of systemic processes within the breast as well. I um, pretty regularly am diagnosing a lymphoma um, via the axillary lymph nodes that we're able to see on screening mammograms. But also sometimes within the breast, we see just one large enlarged lymph node and are able to um, provide the primary diagnosis on something that wasn't already known. Uh, I've diagnosed tuberculosis, sarcoidosis, amyloidosis. Um, and then the more benign things that happen within the breast, fibroadenomas in your young reproductive aged females, um, in your lactating females, you're getting lactational adenomas, galactoseals, a lot of mastitis. So plenty of benign entities which can happen in the breast. Um, which is what, you know, I, I definitely like to stress that to patients. Um, cysts are very common in women. So not every new thing in the breast is a cancer, but my job is to look for anything new or different. And then outside of being a breast imaging radiologist, I do practice 
some general radiology. So when I'm doing um, body ultrasounds on a daily basis, I'm seeing thyroid nodules, I'm seeing um, ovarian cysts, fibroids, and of course, cancer of all of the above organs as well. So, um, you know, just being able to to use imaging as a as a tool to to diagnose um, is really obviously has changed the um, shape of medicine today. And I, I think it's exciting to see what what will come. Describe a typical day. So there are no typical days. Um, <laughs> it's it really varies day to day. And even if I were to say that I do the same thing uh, in theory every day, every patient presents something new and different. So um, it depends on whether I'm doing biopsies like I did this morning where I was doing image guided biopsies. So I today did ultrasound and mammogram guided biopsies of the breast. But there are some days that I'm also doing MRI guided biopsies or ultrasound guided fine needle aspirations of the thyroid or of lymph nodes. And then this afternoon, I read screening mammograms. Um, and we're doing 3D mammography, which allows for a more detailed evaluation of the breast. And, um, you know, it has really improved the detection of, of breast cancers and decreased any false positive callbacks and um, really been a way, a great way to to change breast cancer screening. And in between, I have um, uh, radiographs and bone densities, and I'm calling patients with results or calling doctors with findings. So that's kind of what my day was like today. But there are also days when I do uh, diagnostic mammography, which covers any woman that has been called back from a screening examination. So if the radiologist that read a screening mammogram sees something that needs more evaluation, they'll call them back and uh, we'll do those extra views uh, in a diagnostic slot. And then for women who have uh, clinical concerns of their own, so they're feeling a lump, they're feeling breast pain, they're feeling, um, you know, changes to the, or they're noticing changes to the skin, they have nipple discharge, those kinds of things qualify um, as the clinical concerns for diagnostics. And then women who have had a personal history of breast cancer or who have a particularly strong family history or a known genetic mutation, those women are typically seen uh, on diagnostic slots. And then we have uh, breast MRI slots as well. And then on an ultrasound day, it varies from doing thyroid fine needle aspirations to doing ultrasounds of the thyroid, the carotid, the the um, you know right upper quadrant or the liver or the pelvis, um, really anything and everything can come in on an ultrasound day. Oh, and of course OB ultrasounds. So, so it sounds like there's a lot of potential for what you're doing day in and day out for procedures. So somebody who may be interested in radiology but is like I want to work with my hands as well. That there are some good options out there for them. Oh, absolutely. And these days, there's actually an entirely separate track. So. Classically, as in when I was training, which was not that long ago, but long enough that um, things have changed, you would do uh, one year of internship, four years of radiology, and then a one to two year fellowship of interventional radiology. But now there are actually completely separate training pathways. So um, not all programs do it like that. There are still some of the classic spots reserved, but residents now have the opportunity, or medical students rather, now have the opportunity to apply to programs where they are either completely um, 
integrated from the start. So they're a diagnostic radiology slash interventional radiology program. And they're entering into interventional radiology a lot earlier. Or I think there are some things, I know Georgetown here in DC has it where you match into diagnostic radiology, but you're sort of guaranteed that interventional radiology spot. Those spots can be quite competitive. So, um, you know, that offers that option of being able to sort of um, get the full experience of diagnostic radiology while also knowing that you'll move on to that. So, and then there are people like myself who did um, breast imaging and do a lot of procedures. A lot of the body imaging fellowship trained radiologists do procedures like CT guided procedures in hospitals. So I'm completely outpatient. So the things that we're doing are some of our lower risk procedures. Of course, everything has a risk, pain, bleeding, and infection, contrast reactions. So we do, um, you know, have BLS certification. We have nurses, we have um, training on how to um, respond to some of the things that would happen in an outpatient setting. But for those radiologists, both diagnostic and interventional who are in inpatient settings, they can expect to be um, certainly exposed to a lot of procedures. What does call look like? So I'm all outpatient, so it doesn't look like anything, <laughs> um, but um, I've certainly taken my share of call, uh, both in my first private practice and then throughout residency. And call for radiologists is, uh, is, is brutal. It is nonstop. So unlike some of our clinical colleagues who might, you know, take home call um, and get called multiple times a night, which I know is also um, unpleasant, radiology call is the entire shift. You sometimes do not leave your seat or your call room or, or um, reading room. So when I was in private practice, they were just eight hour shifts. And, you know, you would do it seven to three or three to 11 or 11 to seven, two times a weekend. But I was reading sometimes 180 and 200 studies. Now that's a combination of plain films, ultrasounds, fluoroscopy, CT, but it was nonstop. Um, and similar uh, experience when I was in residency and in residency, you know, you were also covering interventional if you were the senior resident. So I, uh, I trained at a level one trauma center, which meant that I was, um, you know, seeing, uh, level one angios, um, for, for, um, gunshot victims or, um, MVC motor vehicle collision victims. So you had to, have the the IR suite ready for the for everyone to come in and and start doing an angiogram and and potentially treat any bleeding vessels. Um, same for upper GI bleeds. So if you're training at a level one trauma center, which I definitely recommend um, it, for the experience, uh, it can be really intense. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of medicine? I've always uh, tried to maintain that life. Of course, in residency, that balance um, was consistently challenged. Uh, certainly as an outpatient radiologist, um, I feel like I do. And that's not to say that my life um, or you know my job is easy. I'm, I'm in at 7.30. I'm out at 5. Sometimes I don't take lunch. I eat lunch. <laughs> you know, I eat food. <laughs> you shovel um, lunch. <laughs> yeah, I shovel lunch. But, you know, I mean, yes, in theory. Uh, there are no patients that need to be seen between noon and 1245, but we all know that that 1130 showed up late and she's 85 years old and, you know, you're not going to say no. Um, or a biopsy goes longer um, just because that's what happens sometimes. So, so, yeah, so there are a lot of times that I'm not eating lunch and I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm up at five 15 every day and, and going to bed at nine, sometimes not getting home until five 30 or six. So there are, there are days when it feels like you're cramming, um, your real life in. Um, but I think that's the case for, for anyone these days and you just have to make it work. So, you know, I, I, I like it. I like the days that I'm able to go to my office where I can um, walk and take the metro versus the ones where I have to drive because uh, traffic in Washington, D.C. is generally unpleasant in the <laughs> afternoon, as are all the drivers who are in their cars. So, um, you know, you, 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 you choose the things that, that can make life work. And for me, one of those was giving up um, a practice that involved call. Just think of all that podcast listening time sitting in traffic. Um, I listen to podcasts while I'm walking to the metro. I have my headphones in. Yeah, no, when I'm in the car, I'm listening to NPR or having a conversation on Bluetooth. Um, but yeah, so I, I reserve my podcasts for my walking. What is the the training path? You, you mentioned a little bit of training, but for somebody who wants to be a breast imaging radiologist, what's the training path at, at this point look like? So it's one year of internship four years of diagnostic radiology residency, and then one year of breast imaging fellowship. And also a change that has happened since I was in residency is that breast imaging is a matched fellowship. So when I was uh, in training, you could get a spot outside the match. Um, one of those, stay within your own program or contact someone you know, which is what I did. Um, I knew... Um, the woman who would go on to be my fellowship director, I had had a relationship with her from when um, I did an away rotation at her program. So that is all um, out the door and there's a formal match system. And I believe that happens in the PGY4 R3 year. So your fourth year of being a resident and your third year of being a radiology resident. How competitive is that match? Um, well, I think it's decently competitive. I don't know that people don't get a spot per se, but I, I certainly think you're competing for spots at the better programs. Yeah. But again, I didn't go through the proper and formal match process. So I, I think my perspective would be a little skewed. Yeah. But, you know, for a few reasons, breast imaging is appealing and they're sometimes outside of the reasons it was appealing to me. I truly like breast imaging, um, and chose radiology for breast imaging. Um, some radiologists, you know, come across breast imaging during their time as radiologists and they realize that it's amenable to an outpatient lifestyle or, you know, no call, no weekend. Um, they realize that um, it can kind of get you a job almost anywhere. So groups are always looking for breast imaging radiologists um, for a few reasons. One, there's always volume. The women are always going to need mammograms. And um, secondly, it's sometimes what they call the gateway test. So um, women, get their first screening mammogram and find an imaging center and then go on to utilize that imaging center heavily. And so again, having fellowship trained breast imaging radiologists is um, a plus for a group. And then 
The third being that some diagnostic radiologists don't want to touch mammography. Um, one, because it does require an attention, a level of attention to detail that is uh, sometimes difficult to meet. And, and secondly, because of the uh, malpractice that's associated with it. Yeah. So because of that, you'll find groups who are really eager to hire fellowship-trained breast imaging radiologists. If you look at the Society of Breast Imaging Career Forum right now, it's 40 deep. Um, I will say that right now is a seller's market. Um, when I was applying, or I guess buyer's market, like that. right now there is a huge supply of jobs in radiology and not necessarily a supply of residents. And, you know, that happens. Um, the pendulum always swings. Mm -hmm. But when I was applying for jobs, it was the other way around. So there were very few postings and a lot of us looking for jobs. So, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how the trends go, but definitely it's a good time to be looking for a job as a radiologist and specifically as a breast imaging radiologist. Once somebody has done their fellowship in breast radiology or breast imaging, what other opportunities potentially are there to further subspecialize? So in terms of further subspecialization, I wouldn't say that there is anything further uh, than breast imaging. Um, but certainly, as with most fields in medicine, there are, you know, business opportunities, public health opportunities, um, consulting opportunities, um, certainly a lot of advocacy opportunities, definitely a lot of different ways that you could use your breast imaging fellowship to create and mold the career that you want. Yeah. But there's nothing um, more specific, I, I would say, or more specialized rather. Yeah. For the osteopathic student listening to this, what does he or she need to do to be competitive for breast imaging? So, um, you know, when I was in residency, there were um, students, well, I guess at that point, residents from DO programs who had matched into um, fellowships. I, I don't know as much about um, the, the ones in my program were in neuroimaging fellowships, and I, I've certainly seen ones that have have gone on to um, interventional and other fellowships. I think, I think it's really the same. I think, you know, having research, being motivated, um, those all go a really long way. I think, you know, I see more and more a lot of residents who have these dual degrees, MPH or MBA or something else. And certainly those would have a place in any radiology group. Um, and, and certainly uh, could, add to being a breast imager in the real world, whether that would be, you know, working for the NIH or, uh, you know, uh, working with the FDA or the CDC, um, you know, those can all contribute to your future career. I, I don't think that they, any one of them is necessarily needed for um, getting a breast imaging fellowship. Yeah. What do you wish primary care providers knew about what you're doing day in and day out to help their patients? So I wish that they would have a couple of different conversations. And the number one is any woman over the age of 30 is going to get a mammogram if they walk through our doors. Um, a lot of primary care providers and OB-GYN will tell 
their patients, you know, you're not going to get a mammogram. They'll just do an ultrasound. But by the American College of Radiology standards, we image in a certain way. So that I would say is one of my biggest battles that I have to fight every day um, is having someone over the age of 30 with a, a nipple symptom or they're feeling lump or um, and not expecting to possibly get a mammogram. Um, that would, that would be the biggest one. And I think, I think the other is, you know, I wish everyone would just join us in trying to decrease patient anxiety. Um, you know, one of the things that the USPSTF and the American, um, cancer society referenced when they were changing their screening guidelines is patient anxiety. And I don't think patient anxiety is a reason to, to get less mammograms. I think it provides an opportunity for us to work on our education and advocacy, um, you know, and, and to learn how to empower our patients. So I know so many primary care providers who will say, you know, my patients hate being called back. So I told her it's okay to just get it every other year. <laughs> That's not the answer. And I know the USPSTF gave clinicians this sort of like, okay, you can go ahead and do that. But I, I, I just think that that, you know, they're really taking a pass on a, on a great opportunity for education um, and advocacy. So that's, that's sort of my little soapbox that I uh, often stand on. Yeah. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Well, definitely breast surgeons. Um, but honestly, those are on the cancer cases, right? So on the average patient, I am talking to a lot of primary care providers, a lot of OB-GYN. Um, and then, um, for the cancer patients, your breast surgeons, oncologists, radiation oncologists, those are typically who we're seeing, um, uh, in my general radiology role, uh, I do speak to a lot of endocrinologists, um, for the thyroid. We see a lot of thyroid ultrasounds. So I'm speaking to a lot of endocrinologists, again, a lot of OB-GYNs with the OB and pelvic ultrasounds and then, um, primary care physicians. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into breast imaging? You know, I sort of referenced the patient anxiety. Um, one of the things that, that I um, find most challenging about being a breast imager is the emotional burden of um, patients' anxiety um, or just the general emotions surrounding breast cancer amongst women of our country. You know, the, the whole pink ribbon and, and think pink and breast cancer awareness, it's really just, I think, gone awry. It was meant to um, create awareness. I think Betty Ford is actually the one who started it back in the 80s after she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And her goal was for women to just be more aware that there were screening options and that, you know, they could get a mammogram. And it went from that to pinkwashing everything and women being terrified. Um, by being um, afraid that they're going to get breast cancer. Uh, I think almost any woman can tell you one in eight women get breast cancer. Um, but that statistic is just meant to say, you know, one in eight women over the course of their lifetime will get breast cancer. So you should be getting regular screening, early detection decreases morbidity and mortality. Um, and instead, I see women just nervous wrecks every day. And it's a lot. Um, it's, a, it's a lot to... Um, I don't want to say manage, but I guess that's the, the word when I'm, you know, trying to help patients work through their feelings or overcome their fears on a daily basis. Um, not to say that that's not needed or valid. It's just that 
I went into radiology. I, I didn't realize I was going into almost like a psychology or psychiatry sometimes. Uh, you know, I have a colleague that calls it mammochiatry. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, it, and, and I have to do it on a, on a daily basis. I'm gauging when I see something concerning in the breast. Like, is this woman going to be able to handle everything right now? Does she need sort of like to be like slowly reveal the information? Um, and same with cancer diagnoses. I have to, I have to shift my delivery per patient. And I mean, I have those skill sets now, but those took time to acquire. And, um, it's, it's, it is a real art, um, as part of breast imaging. What do you like the most about what you do? The patients. Um, I mean, I really do enjoy the patient interaction. Uh, it was something I had always liked about medicine and, and, um, it's the reason I, I don't think I could do any other part of radiology. Um, and honestly, the procedures, and um, you know, the second would be the procedures. I, even though a, a procedure can go wrong in, you know, any number of different ways, um, I really enjoy working with my hands, which I think I'm still so surprised by that. I definitely 10 years ago, if you'd asked me, I would not have said that I would have liked them. And, and I think I'm still a decade later um surprised at how much i enjoy them what do you like the least the sort of what i was referencing earlier about the emotional toll um even though it's the patient's emotions that you're managing it's hard to compartmentalize that and it's hard to sort of it makes the days longer sometimes now, this is an interesting question for you, particularly or your specialty. So a question I always ask is, do you see any major changes coming to the field? And I know in, in my mind, because I'm a huge tech nerd and I believe technology is moving much faster than anyone thinks. Um, machine, if, if anyone were to Google machine learning and mammography, it seems like the, the one at least study that is ripe for machine learning to come in and, and help with, with the radiologist reading those films. What are your thoughts on where technology is coming? I mean, a couple different ones. We've had computer aided detection for, I don't know, a decade now, and it's terrible. I think any radiologist, um, well, no, any academic um, or fellowship trained <laughs> radiologist will tell you that. So computer-aided detection has been shown to only be helpful to those general radiologists out in the community mm. um, for the interpretation of mammography. Now, I again, I, as you referenced, um, certainly artificial intelligence machine learning um, is much more advanced than it was before. And there are several studies pointing towards how artificial intelligence could be useful in mammography. But I still think that at the end of the day, there are a lot of factors that I'm taking into account um, when I'm recommending a callback, when I'm recommending a biopsy, um, when I'm re recommending an additional biopsy, um, that I think you're still going to need that human touch. Even if machine or AI or machine learning were to um, you know, speed up the interpretation of mammography, I don't think they'll ever replace me in doing so. Yeah. I think I personally think it will it will only enhance what we do, um, but not replace. Yeah. But certainly, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It is the hot topic that is discussed everywhere, always um, in the radiology community. So, 
if you had to do it all over again, would you still be a breast imaging radiologist? You know, yes and no. Um, and I know that that's a cop out answer. The, the only thing that I ever wonder sometimes is if I should have just gone for breast surgery. And I, I say that for two reasons. One, um, I obviously you know, grew to like procedures more than I had realized. And two is that um, with the field of radiology going where it is right now, which is um, corporatization, um, and radiologists never had autonomy to begin with, right? We always rely on someone else sending us to studies. Um, someone else asking us a question for us to answer. Um, there's not, there's not a lot of autonomy. And, and I think that, um, that would be something I would have enjoyed. So the only time I ever say, you know, I wonder if I should have just gone for breast surgery, um, is when I think about, um, those two factors, but then I think about a general surgery residency and I, <laughs> So for for the student who is in that situation right now going, well, there's there's this surgery side of things that I enjoy, but there's a diagnostic side that also touches on this, the similar subject. What what would you have done potentially to see if you could explore surgery more to see if that was what you should have done? I mean, I, you know, I think do more surgery rotations or do surgery and surgery internship or, um, or consider interventional radiology. Of course you wouldn't, I do know people who did kind of a six month breast, six month interventional, um, hybrid fellowship and, um, they're in private practice and they're able to sort of dabble in both worlds and, um, and fulfill themselves that way. Um, I think, I think more than anything, it's the autonomy. And that is something that uh, my dad is an anesthesiologist. And when I told him I wanted to do radiology, he said, you know, I, I, I think that that's great. I'm glad that you found something that you like, but I've worked at someone else's will for a really long time. Um, you know, he, he works when the surgeons work, he did what the hospital told him to. And he said, you know, that's just something that you're going to need to adjust to. And I, I think that's important for medical students to consider, you know, we're, we're so focused on what field, what career, what, um, what subspecialty, but realizing where medicine is today, um, the corporatization of medicine and, um, often the loss of autonomy. I think it's really important for medical students to be aware of that as well. Um, cause you see so many, um, physicians who, you know, I, I'm very lucky. I'm very happy with my job. I just wonder what it would be like to be my own boss. Um, you know, and I think that that's something that physicians or just people in general wonder. Um, I, 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 I don't know if those are the kinds of questions that other of my fellow physicians had ever asked themselves. Mm -hmm. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this interested in breast imaging and radiology? I mean, I, not just for someone interested in radiology, you know, it, it plays such a big part in medicine today. I think it's really important for any medical student to really pay it its due attention. Um, and you might realize that you, you know, like it a lot more than you thought, which is certainly what I did. Um, I mean, I, I made two very distinct proclamations about how I thought radiology was boring and that I would never sit in a dark room. Um, <laughs> my first year of medical school and fast forward three years. And I was, you know, 
um, competing to try to get into a radiology residency. So um, for, if you're interested in it, definitely um, try all of the parts out, look into IR because it certainly is a new and different approach to radiology. Um, for breast imaging, you know, um, I certainly encourage radiologists who are going into it to also have that advocacy education and outreach arm um, to their career. So I think that's so important to what we do. Um, but yeah, I can certainly be reached with any questions um, if there were anything I didn't touch on. All right, there you have it. An interesting story to a specialty that this physician, Dr. Malik, came to just because she was interested in the surgery side of things, but maybe was questioning whether or not she wanted to be a surgeon and found a love for breast imaging radiology on her path. So stay open to everything that you are experiencing on your journey, and hopefully a specialty will just come to you, kind of like it did with Dr. Malik. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. Don't forget to subscribe so you get these podcasts every week whether that's an Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, or however you listen to podcasts. I would love if you shared this podcast in general, not just this specific episode, but specialty stories in general with your med school class. Go on your, your Facebook group that you have for your class or wherever you all communicate. Go share this podcast. You can just link to specialtystories.com and that will show everyone how to subscribe, how to listen, and so much more. Hope you have a great week. Next week, we have an awesome guest, a pediatric rheumatologist. Hope you have a great week. See you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.